In this final episode, I talk with Emily and Mavi about their experience in the Tackling Inequalities class. They share their project stories and what they've learned in this design thinking process. Welcome Mavi and Emily, nice to have you uh, here in the studio and nice to be talking today about your experience in the uh, Tackling Inequalities class that you took last year. We've already heard about it from your teacher Bram and I'm very curious to hear your perspective. But first, maybe Mavi, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, of course. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me, first of all. Uh, and my name is Mavi. I am from Brazil, but I'm also partly Dutch and I am studying international relations and organizations here at Leiden University, the Hague campus. And I am in my third year. I just started it now. So very exciting. Um, and I did the inequalities uh, in the 21st century uh, honors class. And yeah, it was great. <laughs> great. Curious to hear more about it. And how about you, Emily? My name is Emily. I'm um, half American, half Dutch. I just graduated from a degree in arts, media and society from Leiden University. And I just began a pre-master's in education and child studies. And I also was part of the inequalities class together with Mavian. Also a great experience. Great. And you both worked on, uh, on different projects. Uh, maybe Mavi, can you start by explaining uh, what the project was and how, uh, how you went through all the phases? Yeah, of course. Um, so the whole course was basically set up as we were divided, all of us, into groups of, well, I think, like four to five people. And each of us got a challenge to work with. My challenge was called the Fenestra Challenge. And Fenestra is the name of the body within Leiden University. And uh, that body is responsible for the students with disabilities. So they make sure that students with disability get extensions on their assignments or help them out with housing or with uh, arranging a psychiatrist here in the Netherlands and uh, stuff like that. So with uh, that challenge, mostly what they wanted was help with uh, redesigning their website because their website, they were a very new body, like I don't know how old they are, but um, they wanted help with, you know, getting better communication with the students and being able to get a more efficient result of what their work is. So um, having students better communicate with them and better knowing what they are and who they are, because, yeah, they are still very small. <laughs> yeah. And how, uh, how did the design thinking process help you in uh, dealing with this challenge? Yeah, uh, it was actually a great um, way of dealing with the challenge because it was very structured, you know, so we had all the phases like the empathy, the define and everything. So in the empathy phase, what we did was sent an email being like, oh, we are looking for students to interview and uh, evaluate what the process has been with Fenestra. And we were like, oh, my God, no one's going to answer this. Like, no one's going to want to do it. But fortunately, we were uh, lucky that I think like 50 students answered us. And uh, but we couldn't interview 50 people. So we interviewed 30 um, students that had been in contact with Fenestra already. And the interview process was actually like the one that the, pro the part that I loved the most about the whole design thinking process. It was great to just talk to them and actually see what they thought the problem was because of course we see it from the you know the institution side and 
sometimes we don't see what actually is the problem, but we also don't know why that is a problem. And talking to them was really great because we learned what they were actually experiencing and what they would think that was, you know, a better way to do it and how they experienced the whole thing. And then uh, what we did after the interviews is we got, basically, we turned the interviews into many phrases. So, I don't know, we basically made a bunch of sentences that summarized what that person had said in the interview. And then we made a whole table with all the phrases and we made like a frequency table, basically, like how much each problem was um, spoken about. And uh, from that, we were like, okay, these are the problems that need most attention. So we're going to focus on this. And then from there, we were like, okay, some of these are just, you know, we would never be able to do it. Only us, like uh, four people, you know, four yeah. bachelor <laughs> students. Um, so then we focused on the ones that were feasible and needed most attention. And then from there, uh, for, for the ideation part, we just started, you know, brainstorming and being, okay, what could we do to make this work? So we went from like crazy ideas from like, you know, for example, one of the things that we noticed that was a big problem was awareness. Because as I said, Fenestra was, is still like a, a small body. So we had to make sure that people knew what Fenestra was before they went to Fenestra, right? So we thought about like making tote bags and t-shirts and like things as crazy as that um and then for the website of course which was a big thing like the thing Finestra wanted us to do and and reform we also like thought about you know making like quizzes and turning into a it, turning the website into a quiz and the whole thing <laughs> yeah all of them um, sounds like really creative ideas that's really nice yeah thank you we we really went crazy there um and then of course we went just cutting out you know like we went we start got to a point where we were like okay this is never gonna happen or we don't have the resources for this or we don't even know how to do this you know like in case of the website for example we didn't have the knowledge on how to turn the website into a quiz um so we were like, okay, we don't, we we can't, you know, extrapolate that much. But then we came into like, uh, mostly the prototypes we got to were flyers to put to you know distribute during the introduction weeks, for uh, during the uh, of Leiden University, and also for the website we basically took inspiration from other university websites, and built our own with like. Um, an easier way for people to find what they need in the website. Um, and then we got to the testing phase, which is the last phase of the design thinking. And in that phase, we mostly went back to the people we interviewed and we were like, would you mind, you know, <laughs> spending other 20 minutes with us just evaluating what we have done? And they were all super nice and actually came back to us and we actually met them again and they told us what worked, what didn't work, what they liked, what they didn't like. And then we just refined the whole thing again. So basically, there was just a lot of back and forth and a lot of discussions as well, because, of course, everyone didn't have the same opinion. So we had to, you know, debate within ourselves what we thought was actually the best thing to do. Yeah. So then that's what we basically did for the whole process. It was you know, intense and a lot to do. And you had to be basically 
uh, focused and because a lot of things came up and you wanted to help with everything, but you had to kind of focus on what your goal was basically. Yeah. So yeah. Wow. Sounds like uh, you put in a lot of work and that you also learned a lot in this process. Yeah. It was I really like that you mentioned this iterative way of working that you go back and forth and you get input from the people you are designing for and you go to find all the crazy ideas and then go back to them do you does this work and yeah. check uh, so that's really a great approach and nice yeah. that they were able to provide feedback as well yeah exactly i think that's one of the things that we learned the most is just you know nothing comes right the first way you do it especially with these you know social challenges and everything like it involves a lot of different opinions and everything so you have to always and you're not always right as well you have to accept that some things you might be sure that it's going to work but then you go and you test it and then people are like no 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 this is terrible so yeah so that's uh, a yeah. principle of failing fast it sounds like you experienced that a bit as yeah. well <laughs> yeah we did and was... how did that make you feel um i think at sometimes it made me feel like i wasn't you know right for doing that thing so like i didn't have enough experience because of course like i didn't study something that was that specific to the Fenestra challenge. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing and everything. But mostly I was also like open to learn and just open-minded. And I just wanted what we were doing to be something that people would take advantage of later. You know, we would we didn't want to do something that in the end people would be like, it didn't help at all. You know, we wanted to make something that was actually going to be, you know, useful for people's lives later. So I think that's what we kept in mind and that's why it was easier to accept like that we were wrong, you know. And also allow yourself to be wrong on the first try. That's uh, kind of normal, but yeah, uh, not exactly. something you yeah. experience a lot, I think. Yeah. yeah. Great. And what would you think is the top thing you learned in this class? So I think the most important thing I learned throughout the whole experience was that like listening to people is just what will make your projects work because in the end those people are the ones that are going to use your project and it becomes a very specific thing like very targeted to that set of people but I guess it's what gonna make at least like it will guarantee a bit of a percentage that it works you know because those people are the ones that we're doing it for and of course like as I said like as if you look from the Fenestra side you see that there are problems but you may, might don't really know what is happening and why this is happening. So I think the empathy uh, phase was the one that I enjoyed the most and learned from the most because you could just, there were reasons for why it was not working that I could never have imagined. So I don't know, like listening to people and also just asking them straight up, like sometimes people are bothered by that, but mostly if you ask like, what is wrong? Like, how can I help? Like, what should I do? And and also understand why it makes it all much easier and then you can actually understand and take that understanding into all of your other actions so I think that was the thing that I learned the most like just listening to people and actually understanding them is um, key to making something for them if that makes sense yeah sounds like a valuable lesson that you can also maybe take into your bachelor research project or yeah. your master thesis uh, when you come to it so yeah, I think so too. Yeah, definitely. 
And Emily, can you share a bit about your project? Sure. So I work together with the Leidse Ampok. That was our um, our challenge owners. And they are an organization which is works in Leiden, I think also in The Hague. And they have an ongoing project which is trying to target the transition between primary and secondary school and having equal opportunities within that transition period. So they see that transition as a place where there's there can be room for certain children having more opportunity than others, and they really are trying to have that be more equitable. Um, so the goal of their project and what they posed to us and our group was to try to help have the students and the parents have more agency over the transition because they... Um, in their research, they found that there was a lot of weight which was just put on the students' testing scores and on the teachers' selection advice. And when the teachers' advice and the test scores is weighed so heavily, there's also a lot more room for, say, bias from the teacher's perspective on that student and then also for the testing scores to just be such a narrow way of showing the students' capabilities for their future. And also, because it's at such a young age, at the age of 12 in the Netherlands, it can be even more of a place where, you know, it can be inequitable and that the students don't really have a chance to show their true potential or their, yeah, their potential in the future. So we were asked by them to help the students and the parents have more agency over the over that period. Um, so then we went into design thinking and we used, for the empathy phase, we also did a bunch of interviews, tried to reach out to students and to teachers and to parents. And um, what we found was it was really difficult to find, to reach parents. That was the hardest demographic to reach. But we did reach students and teachers through just reaching out through our own network. So asking like friends who'd been through the Dutch system or for some of us who knew a lot of teachers, we got in touch with teachers. And then we were also lucky enough to work with a few researchers who are at the at Leiden University who are working together with Leidse Ampok. And they had done a bunch of interviews with students in the transition period. So they were generous enough to share those interviews with us and we were able to watch those and also use that as part of our empathy phase. And what we found when we kind of put all those things together was that, so that was like the define kind of phase of the of the process where we tried to define like, okay, what is the problem? What do these different people need? And what we found is that the teachers were also very motivated a lot of the time to, like they saw the problem, they wanted to help, but they just were so overburdened. They had they were already overworked. They had a ton of time. They, there really wasn't place in the budget to do anything, but they were motivated, a lot of them. And then for students, what a lot came back was that they, yeah, they, they didn't feel that there was enough of themselves that was shown in this selection process. And... And really another important thing was that the language barrier was a huge, so the like understanding of Dutch language and reading and writing was a big barrier because if you don't have a, you know, a reasonable grasp and you're graded on the tests and you're graded on a selection discussion, you know, that's a huge barrier in the way where you might have other sort of talents or skills and that's just not coming through if that's in the way. So... 
we saw those things and we tried to kind of brainstorm how we would come up with something because we saw that, you know, there was communication was lacking between students and teachers. Um, we needed something that was kind of efficient for teachers and also that would show the student's point of view more. So we kind of, we came up with one idea that was like, oh, maybe we could, they could, the students could write sort of a letter to themselves as a way of reflecting and like also showing more of themselves. But then we also, but that doesn't really have the communication aspect. So then we kind of thought, oh, well, maybe we could, what if we made the letter also part of like material for an existing meeting between students and teachers? So that was how we kind of came up with this idea for a letter that was also a tool for communication. And we actually ended up like idea or like iterating on that as and after a few different versions we went into our final one with that so what we did was we constructed a few guiding questions for the letter so we and that was what we did in combination with the teachers that we were in interviewing and then also with our challenge owners like what do you think would be helpful and what kind of questions to ask and then that would form the basis for the students writing the letter. And importantly, we wanted to make a written and an audio version of the letter so that students could either choose to read the letter or to listen to it. And then also that they could give free form responses. So they could write it, they could make an audio version, they could draw, they could do mind maps. So as to kind of give them more freedom to show the different parts of themselves. And so this letter, they would the students would write the year before the transition period, and then they would open it before they had a meeting with their teacher. And then in the meeting with the teacher, the teacher would use that letter as kind of just material for asking the student questions about themselves with the hopes that then they would have more insight into the student when they're making their selection advice. And then the letter hopefully would be like we encourage the students to take the letter with them throughout each year of school so that they can continue to look back and reflect on their performance and just on themselves and their desires and their hopes and their potentials for themselves. Yeah, and that was kind of our whole, yeah, we let it be tested like we just showed it to the different teachers and students and um, yeah and try to refine it as much as possible from there. Wow sounds like a really uh, cool process and a nice solution to a very very complicated problem. Uh, yes. Here in the Netherlands. <laughs> it's and, a complicated uh, problem indeed. Yeah I like that you also saw this as an opportunity to tackle this problem of uh, making the transition and the selection uh, easier but also something that the students could use when they move on to secondary school and they want to reflect on oh where was I in uh, when I left uh, elementary school and uh, view it for themselves as a way that they can see how they've grown in the in the last uh, few years that's really yeah. nice yeah Thank sort you. of added benefits of the of this idea that you had yeah and what was the most memorable moment for you in this class well, I think I have to agree with Mavi that the empathy phase was for me uh, my favorite part and the most memorable. It's something that I'd never done in school before and I really 
appreciated it. Like you had to be very proactive about it. You know, you had to reach out to people. You had to really go for it. And then also just listening to people was so, I mean, I was really grateful for people who shared their experience and you just learned so much from it. And it's a skill that I think maybe is not valued enough or taught enough or done enough in university. And it was, I really, yeah, you learn like especially when we're talking about inequalities we learn about you know the kind of overarching problems and you know you look at the different graphs of what's where and how's this and all that but when you really talk to people it's also it's it's personal and it and it shows up in very personal and emotional and social ways and that was really eye opening for me to see um and to experience in the guest lectures, you had this really the broad overview of the, the topics around inequality and all the, the research and the theories around it. But when you did your project really at the micro level, personal interactions, people who are experiencing the problems that uh, are described in those big theories. Yeah, I mean, we were also lucky to have every guest lecture. We had an academic um guest lecture and then a practitioner so that even in that you know you had this kind of balance between learning about the theories and the methods but then also having someone who was working in the field and could say this was how this one person experienced or this was how I what I faced when I tried to face this conflict or work with this conflict and then with the design thinking we got to actually face them and and apply certain stuff so yeah that was really great. For the final question, what would your advice for teachers be when they give a course with design thinking? And also, what's your advice for students who take a course with design thinking? I guess for teachers, I would say, like, stay flexible with the idea of how you would how you would work with it. I think that there's a lot of different even just elements from design thinking that can be beneficial, even if you're not going to use the whole thing. I think there's a lot of elements like even like the empathy phase or like the practice of trying to take on different perspectives, I think is just a really valuable method of approaching a topic. And I think that that so even for teachers who say, yeah, I like the idea, but it's a it's a huge thing to just put apply a completely different method in my class. Like maybe even if you just applied a few elements or took inspiration from a few elements of the design thinking that could be um, that could be really cool. For students, I guess I would say also like stay open-minded with it. I think like Mavi also mentioned and I also faced is that it can be really intense and it can be like time consuming and it can be difficult and you often feel like you're failing and you don't really have, especially when you're dealing with more complicated issues you do feel like, well, how I'm just not equipped to do this. But I think that's also a good lesson that, like you also said, Mavi, is that like, you're not going to solve the whole thing. You know, you're not going to solve the whole problem. But there is something maybe that you can that you can provide that's helpful. Do you have something to add to it? When it comes to teachers, I would say like, I agree with Emily, like even if you get just some elements from design thinking and uh, include that in your um, in your class would already be great but if you're trying to make the whole thing you know so like tr- make turn your whole class into a design thinking class then I would say my advice what based on what I saw what Brum did 
was be a guide mostly. So every group did experience a very different design thinking process, I guess. Like within the whole the whole course, none of the groups had the same experience, of course. And so he had to basically be there and guide each group through what each group was needing at that point. So for example, he would have we would have the classes of course every week or every two weeks. I don't even remember. I think every <laughs> week. Yeah. Um but we would also have meetings with him, like ju the, just the group and him. And then there we could tell him like what was going right, what was going wrong, what was our plan for the next, you know, few weeks, what like what were we doing? If he, he saw that it was just going great, he would just be there and like help us and, you know, comment when he needed. But mostly he would just also help like when we were feeling stuck. Because mo sometimes like I heard from some groups that like, getting uh, interviewees so getting people to interview in the empathy phase was very hard so like he had to you know help in that sense so or also like when it came to the prototype for example we didn't know how to do a website right <laughs> so we were, he, we asked him like do we really need to make a website because we have no idea how to program stuff and like how to do so the solution we came up with was basically put the design in a powerpoint which is like we, it doesn't work, of course, but it was a prototype. So, you know, he he just had to help us and, you know, make sure that we were doing OK. So I think if you are a teacher that wants to, you know, invest in design thinking, basically be there as a guide and the students also flow, because I guess my advice for the students is like be as proactive as possible, because with design thinking, it's not like you know, the teacher is just going to put everything on you and you're going to just have to, you know, filter all of that knowledge and gather all of that. Like, you're going to have to go after it yourself. So you're going to have to find a way to, you know, contact people to interview. You're going to have to find a way to meet the group to have a brainstorm about the ideas that you're going to, that you want to prototype. So you have to be very proactive in the sense that you have to go after the whole process and like of course the process is going to guide you through it as well as your teacher but you know you have to kind of go after it yourself but I think in the end it's very rewarding because you I looking back at what everything that my group and I did I feel very proud of it because I just I'm like wow like we actually because it wasn't out of nothing as well like we gathered knowledge and did something so in the end you feel very proud of what you do like but as we already said, like, it's a very intense process and you feel like sometimes you feel like you're not, you know, su suitable for it or you just, you know, you're like, oh, my God, this is never going to work. But mostly in the end, it works out and you find a way out. And I think it's just, you know, you just have to kind of persist and go after it. Like, I think it's just super nice in the end. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I hope that encourages students to keep going even when they uh, get stuck a bit in the yeah. process. <laughs> yeah. Thank you both so much for this nice interview and your sharing your experience uh, on the course. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so you. much. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having us. This was the fifth and final episode in this mini-series on design thinking in education. I hope that these conversations have inspired you to use some of the design thinking principles in your own class. On the CFI website, you can find more information and resources to start your own design thinking journey.